What is going on, Almost Canon listeners? How's it going? It's me, your host, Nicholas Willard, and I am coming at you from my studio once again, uh, still packed full of shit. But that's all right, because tonight we have another great episode of Almost Canon. Uh, But before we get into our feature topic there's a couple things i'd like to bring up uh three things actually and the first is uh a little conspiracy uh driven and that is the apparent death of russian paramilitary leader yevgeny prigozhin now the question is, was his death fake? Did he fake his death? Or did Putin have him blown out of the sky? So, and and this is the question that our, our own U.S. intelligence community um, is a little up in, up in the air about. And that's not necessarily so much did he fake his death, but how did, how, how did Putin go about doing this you know at first i think they thought that his plane was shot with some sort of surface uh to air missile and i believe now they're saying that they think it was some you know some kind of bomb that that was placed on the the plane but uh but even that's in question there was a video taken of of the the plane and you know uh, Prigozhin's plane, tra- you know, it had a a trail of smoke behind it, and that that would um that would point to some sort of missile striking it, you know, and it it's slowly going down, and versus just a plane exploding in air because of of a you know a bomb that had had detonated, but uh, I think the intelligence community they they kind of uh, squashed that that theory as as they didn't pick up any sort of evidence you know through radar i guess of of any sort of of missile launch but also i've heard i've heard uh you know like commentators and 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 different people talking about how how this plane that went down it seems to be the the wreckage seems to be fairly clean so i i watched a video where where a whole wing was just like chopped off. There was no damage done to the wing. There were no, uh, you know, pieces of shrapnel or anything. The wing was pretty much just chopped off. Now, personally, if I were to, was to imagine a bomb board a plane, it would most likely go off within the fuselage of that plane, which would pretty much take out, you know, it would just blow up the whole plane, including the wings, which store the fuel. Uh, which would then also go up, um, you know, in flames completely. You know, that's where the fuel is. That jet fuel, we all know, it, it's strong enough to melt through. It was strong enough to, yeah, it's it's some powerful stuff. So, uh, 
So was it shot out of the sky? Was Prigozhin shot out of the sky with a surface-to-air missile? Was he blown up with some sort of, of, of bomb placed on board? Or did he just fake his death? Because, you know, well, well Putin, president, dictator of Russia, is a very powerful man. And you don't want to mess with him. Uh, Prigozhin was also... You know, he was also a fairly powerful person. Uh, he was rich to begin with. He created the Wagner Group in 2014 with 5,000 strong members. You know, there were 5,000 fighters reported up until 2020 when they recruited all these other fighters out of the prisons, you know, the Russian prison system. And then he, he boasted numbers in, you know, 20,000 or more, 25,000. So so when you're the leader of a paramilitary group with 25,000 members who has connections in in countries such as Syria or Mali or the Central African Republic, Sudan and Libya, you know, and you made these connections through securing gold mines and diamond mines and lord knows what else helping defend in in the case of Syria Syria helping keep uh the current dictator leader in power you know you make a lot of friends you make a lot of enemies obviously but you make a lot of friends who owe you favors so Who's to say he didn't fake his death and he now he's hiding in one of these countries? Uh, and I feel like that could be a real um, like a real situation. I feel like he could be he could be out there still. And I'm sure I, I wanna I wanna say I'm sure that somewhere down the line, some CIA agent's gonna snap his picture in one of these countries. Uh, we're gonna see a, a Prigozhin, you know, shopping in the bazaar or something. Who knows? But, but yeah. So, so did did Yevgeny Prigozhin fake his death, or did Putin take him out? I mean, that's the question. So, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm just saying. It seems seems awful fishy. Uh, and if I was, if I was in Prigozhin's shoes, I'd want to fake my death, but, but all right, all right, all right. So on to, to subject number two, this is not a new subject. This is a, a housekeeping subject. Uh, I just want to say that this week I'm teaming up with, I, I believe I mentioned this and I'm just wanted to, to let everyone know again that I'm going to try something new for an episode next week. I'm teaming up with, with Nick. Arduini, who I want to say was in episode 35, maybe. Yeah, third episode 35, uh, Urban Exploration with East Coast Urbex. Uh, we're going to review the movie It, the first one, first installment there, chapter one. Uh, one of the all-time most greatest summer flicks. Uh, if you're into, you know, 
80s kids riding bike stranger things style uh type of movies then this this is it like this is the ultimate goonies right here man it chapter one we're gonna review it it's gonna come out next week uh i know i talk about movies an awful lot on this show so i figured you know what maybe we would maybe i'll try something new and i'll start reviewing these these movies you know put one out maybe a bonus maybe we'll do you know four completely normal episodes and then a fifth uh you know movie review bonus episode i don't know i haven't figured it out yet but we will be reviewing at least one movie every month um so yeah i'm gonna drop that episode is gonna drop we're gonna record it this week it's gonna drop next week uh so look forward to that now the third thing and this directly leads into our topic for tonight. We will be having Brad and Eddie back on the show. We had them on way back when. Um, let's see. Episode 29, Green Mountain, Metal Detecting and Adventures. Uh, I know we talked to Brad and Eddie about their um, investigation into the Lost DeGrow treasure. Now... I felt like it would be a great idea to have them back on the show to talk about some more lost New England treasures, uh, mostly Vermont and New Hampshire. But yeah, I figured who better to tell us if these treasures are out there than two professional treasure hunters, right? We will be reading from W.C. Jameson's Buried Treasures of New England. Now, so who's W.C. Jameson? And you know, I, I feel like this is important enough to bring up real quick so who is w c jameson well let's let's see what his wikipedia page has to say uh william carl jameson professionally known as w c jameson is an american writer author singer songwriter and professional treasure hunter his writings focused mainly on american western subjects and he is the author of at least 50 books, over a thousand articles, columns, and essays, and several hundred poems and songs. He has written the score to two PBS documentaries and one feature film. An accomplished songwriter and performer, he has recorded five CDs of his original music and acted in several movies. W.C. Jameson's Buried Treasures of America series has made him the world's best-selling author of books about buried treasures. His success and fame as a professional treasure hunter have led to appearances on television series such as Unsolved Mysteries, as well as, you know, different shows on, on Travel Channel and Discovery Channel and stuff like that. And I, I, I've listened to... I'd love to have him on the show. I don't know if that will ever happen, but thinking about reaching out to him. I have listened to a couple interviews that he's been on, and he has some wild, wild treasure stories. Like this, <laughs> he's definitely. I I say, you know, I I I say most of my uh, guests have led, you know, wild and exciting lives. But this W. C. Jameson guy, from what I've heard of him and what I've heard him say, he's definitely lived. Uh, and a wild and exciting life. So, so yeah, sit back, relax, and let's speak with Brad and Eddie about buried treasures of New England. 
So what's going on? How you guys been? Uh good, good. We we're currently in um where are we? We're in Atlantic Plains. No, pretty close. I did it That's wrong. That's where we were earlier. We're near We're near <laughs> Woodbridge, New Jersey. Uh we went to um an event. It's a two day event where a bunch of folks all get together and metal detect a, a property that's been it's like a, usually they're properties that are hard to get access to for folks like us and historic properties or whatever and somehow the stars aligned with this place in the historical society or something like that yeah. in the area um, gave the okay and so there was about a hundred of us 150 of us all kind of moseying around this multiple acre piece of property that it's called it's called spies hill Ooh. Where supposedly some spies in the revolutionary war camped out for a while Right. Sounds cool. We didn't find anything spy related or even revolutionary war related or anything really at all today. So <laughs> and I was really looking forward to getting like a monocle or dash com. Oh, you know? right, right, right. This is how I picture. What do you think Rev War spy gear is? Just like the other team's uniform? <laughs> I guess. Maybe scandalous journals in there stashed in a tender. Ooh, yeah, maybe. A little foxhole out in the Well, they did. Or... Somebody did find a silver inkwell. Well, that's right. It's okay. kind of spy. Oh, there crash. you go. Well, I mean, right? You see, you've seen that movie, uh, National Treasure, where they wrote with like uh, lemon juice and it was like yeah. you had to heat it up. And I would think it's a drop point. I would think if people from the other opposing team would know the spies would go there, write what they're seeing, you know, like leave intel behind. And right. then the, you know, people the spies are helping would come and pick them up. That was about it. I just bought a house and I just moved in. So my studio has just got like all, all the shit we haven't put in the house yet. Sure. Well, hey, congratulations on being a dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another one. I got two others. So. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, man. New house, new kid. Those are like two pretty big events. I know. <laughs> Stressful events. Mm. Yeah, we were like, well, we're going to need more room. So, yeah, that was that. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I figured we could just, I got this book, Buried Treasures of New England. Um, I don't know. It's 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 actually a pretty cool book. Um and it's mostly re revolutionary war treasure stories, but yeah. I figured I could read them and then we could just talk about them or something. Or see or see where that brings us. What is the name of that hill in Woodford Bennington area that there was supposedly a Rev War treasure up on top of it. No, it was like um the Appalachian Trail goes right over it. Like peaceful uh, hills or something. Maybe it'll maybe you'll come across it in the book. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't one... think there was any from Bennington yeah. in here. Really? Yeah, like no, I mean Rev War spot. Look at all those markers you've got in there. <laughs> oh yeah. They're uh, candy wrappers. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, we probably won't get to all of them, but because there's there's like, I figured I would try one from every state, but and and some of them are only like a page or two long, so 
Which one is Vermont? What is the one in Vermont? Uh, there was a couple. Vermont actually had the most, other than no, I guess Massachusetts had six. Vermont has five. Whoa! But uh, so there's the the old Spaniards mine and uh, the Nebuchadnezzar sea chest, which is the same treasure, you know, the one that you guys looked into, which I asked you about. That's the Degrat one, right? Yeah. Um, do they do they say him by name? Just in the the sea chest one. Where he worked on the the Nebuchadnezzar and Robert and uh, Robert made off with a bunch of gold, but there was one in Vermont that was interested that interested me. It was a lost steamboat, supposedly like the first steamboat ever designed in in the United States was in Vermont, uh, and then the guy got he got pissed off when when they started using them, I guess, like down south and he sunk it and just kind of like walked away. And, and that was that. Probably in Champlain. Uh, it was Lake Maury, which is, oh, it's on this side. It's like kind of past White River Junction a little bit. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I haven't heard that one. But uh, it's, it's odd enough to probably be true, right? Yeah. No, I actually, yeah, I think it is. There was, there was a team of divers who were going to. I I, I didn't. I wasn't going to read this one, but I I did read it. There was a team of divers who were going to raise it, you know. And when they found out that they weren't going to get paid to do it, they just kind of gave up. They were like, "Nope, all right, we're not doing it then." I hear that. But, but yeah, I guess so. I guess they found where it was and everything. So. That's wild. What a strange thing to do, though. I guess to see right? creation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what was the purpose of that? To make sure that they didn't get more designs of it, or I don't, I don't know. I think he just got, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think he, he just got mad that that <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really say it. Just said that he 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 purposely sunk it and swam back to shore, and and wow. that was that. <laughs> it's like it's you know we've all gotten mad at the Xbox and thrown our controllers. Some people. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was an accident and he just tried to twist the story to be like no i did that on purpose right <laughs> yeah right like, like it's malfunctioning yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh yeah, yeah mine's just as good as theirs i, I just got mad at that <laughs> interesting so um and i i see that you guys never put out that video you were talking about last time which one this new series yeah we just haven't finished it yet oh uh, you still haven't done it yet we have um out of the five episodes, well, uh, what do I say? I, I would say four of them are done, but we're going to refilm part of episode one tomorrow morning here in the hotel room. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, and then we just have to leave the last, the last, most important scene, the last episode to finish. And we'll be done. And then we'll post it. Nice. Yeah, I've been looking for it. All right, let's see what we got here. So, figured we'd start in Maine. Sure. Is that is your Captain Kid treasure in Maine? Nope. Uh, this one is actually uh, Black Sam Bellamy. Have you ever heard of him? Never. It sounds like a pirate, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pirate. Yeah, yeah, he's a pirate. He's a pretty well-known pirate. Uh, I guess I've heard that name. 
Yeah, actually, Captain Kidd was was not a pirate. That's just you know, a privateer, right? He was a privateer, yeah, that got arrested for pi- piracy. But right. it was completely legal what he did. They just, I don't know. It's it's a crazy story actually. But yeah, so so I'm gonna try to read this as best as I can. Sure. Um, and then I want you to tell me if you think it's real or not. Because this this one's actually interesting. It's kind of like Oak Island. You'll definitely get a, a Oak Island feel from this. Not real. <laughs> All right, <laughs> just just wait, just wait, 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 wait. All right. I'll probably I'll probably skip over some because I think some of it's like his history and stuff. But, uh, all right, you ready? I'm ready. All right. So these are stories from. Well, actually, you know what I you know what I should do? I should introduce you guys first. Um. All right. So tonight we have, uh, Brad and Eddie on again. From their wonderful hit. YouTube channel, <laughs> Green Mountain Metal Detecting. It's definitely a hit, uh, from the way I see it. Like you're, you're. It's nuts that you that you've done that. That's so crazy. Yeah, I'm must be really it. cool. I I still can't get over it. Um, Me oh, uh, you know what? And I totally wrote your. I was gonna say your last name right this time, but now I forgot what it was. <laughs> Ass. Coochie, the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wrote it down, but now I can't find. Oh, hold on. Wait, wait. Don't tell me. <laughs> hold on. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not prepared. That's all right. All right. We, we delayed this on you so many times. I don't no, know. that's that's fine. Uh, okay, I got it right here. Piscucci, right? Oh my God, that was beautiful. Now sing it. Sing it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, so we got uh, Brad Martin and Eddie Pascucci on tonight. I'm gonna read them some some stories from this this book by W. C. Jameson, uh, "Buried Treasures of New England: Legends of Hidden Riches, Forgotten War Loots, and Lost Ship Treasures." Ooh, sounds good. And as professional treasure hunters, we will be right. able to tell you definitively whether or not these are real stories or not. Yeah, that's that's the hope. So well, I can already tell you they're not forgot what is it? Forgotten loot? Yeah. Because no, hit it, yeah. Hit uh forgotten war loot. Forgotten war well because it's in a book, it's not quite forgotten. <laughs> One strike. <laughs> yeah. I, I know so. a guy who actually found um it was a it was a ton of gold coins, like a handful of gold coins on Crown Point. Um, and they were speculating that it was more than likely like an officer's pay. Right. And that was forgotten war loot. It was just in the ground. It was Where? like up uh, up uh, at the fort there? Uh I'm, I'm not exactly sure where it was on Crown oh. Point. It was it must have been an old British encampment. They're all Brit coins, so. Mm. Uh, but that's like that's like a real lost, right? War loot. I know. Actually found, but there was no story associated with it before he found it. You know. 
Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, we have the Crown Point Trail, and that starts, like, right down the road from here. So that's yeah. pretty interesting. I've always wanted to metal detect up that. There's a story of a – it's called the Old Tory Cave, where supposedly a bunch of, like, British loyalists stored a bunch of weapons. Um. I've interviewed I've interviewed this family who who owned the the property that the cave supposedly been on, and I was talking to them once about it, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, I've been there." Blah 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 blah. Uh, and then I asked them if they could bring me there, and then they've been like radio silence ever since. So I don't know. Maybe they found something. Maybe they didn't. But um, by a guardian spirit, hellhound. <laughs> I, I'm all I'm automatically skeptical anytime a cave is involved in the stories. Yeah. Because it, a cave doesn't seem like a very good spot to hang out. Right. Well, I know in this, the Tory cave, I, I was reading through some Springfield Historical Society stuff. And there is a cave there where I guess some bandits like hid, hid out in the I don't know, like the mid to late 1800s. And I'm thinking that that was probably the same cave, but I don't know. That's as, that's as far as I got to finding the cave. Yeah. we. I mean, we have some caves. There's some caves that Eddie and I have explored in uh, Bennington County. And they don't, they, they don't strike me as, maybe I'm just not the right kind of guy, but they don't strike me as a place I'd want to stay for any period of time. They're wet and Really tight too. Yeah, hard to make a fire in there. Some of them are really, really yeah. just tight. You can't even navigate. Right. Let alone like, a, imagine if you want to like um, smuggle or hide something. Mm. It'd be near impossible. And at least the ones we've been in, you know. Yeah, and we have to keep, like take into consideration if they, they have like a chest of coins or something like that. Thing's got to weigh half right. a ton. You know, and the biggest one I think I've been in. You have to almost crawl into the mouth before it opens in a room you can stand in. Right, right, right. So imagine, like, you know, four dudes bringing in a big crate of treasure. That's it. Do you guys, but, uh, do you follow, like, like treasure stories in the news and stuff when you see them? They, some they just found a ton of gold coins, right? Gold, like, gold coins, Civil War related. Yep. Did you hear about hear that story? Yeah, yeah, like in Kentucky. Yeah, he, I guess he wasn't like a treasure hunter though. He just like <laughs> like plowed him up as a farmer or something. Oh wow, I didn't know that. I think that's that's the story I heard. Um, like found it, they were in like a can or something. I don't remember exactly what the story was now, but I do know that he wasn't. He didn't like find them with a metal detector. He didn't like hear a hear a legend about them and go looking for them to find them. You know? Right, right. Accidental thing. What about the uh this one keeps popping up in the in the news now since that was since that showed up the uh the dense run have you ever heard of dense run oh uh, it was like uh here's this is the the short story there are these guys and they were digging at this place and dense run there's always been like a history of a lost treasure there right and they were digging there for ten years and they were working with a bureau of land management. And then they sent them to the FBI and they started working with the FBI because I guess they were getting close to finding something, right? And then the, they met with the FBI and the FBI came in and they were going to dig together because it, it was um it was like federal payroll or something from the 
the civil war, you know, and they were oh, going to wow. dig together. And then the night before they dug, apparently the FBI went up and they dug the treasure. Right. And then that day, the next day they went back up, they had filled in the hole, dug it. Uh, and they were like, Oh, nope, no treasure. And then they were just like, get out of here. But apparently they like, these these treasure hunters took them to court and they I don't know they're still fighting fighting about it in court but I do feel like I I remember hearing something about that also I don't it just sounds familiar but um I mean I don't know maybe people are scumming <laughs> yeah about, it doesn't sound like something that would happen at like a governmental level it sounds like the dudes were just like we should just go up there and think <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it just seems weird to, you know, I don't know what kind of case they'd have in court, you know. If they never saw the treasure there or didn't have any real solid evidence, I don't see what they'd be awarded, you know, from the court. Right. Well, I guess they had, like, years and years of, of evidence, like, I don't know, something going back to, like, six tons of gold, and I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't exactly know the details of it either, but. It's on federal land. Yeah, it was on federal land. Sure. <laughs> but. All right, you know what? And I've decided I'm gonna skip Maine and I'm gonna go straight to Vermont. Let's get to the good stuff, right? <laughs> Let's get to one that that's been documented. Um, and it's actually it's very it's a very interesting story, and and I I think you might be interested in it. So, all right, I'm just I'll I'll just start really quick here. Uh, okay. It's called a Rebel Soldier's Treasure Tale. Oh, I know this one already. Oh, you do? Do you know it, Brad? The St. Albans Gold. Yeah, I think I think that is it, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, we'll let you finish the story and tell the audience and everything, but I think that's pretty established as fact. Okay. Because... I thought you were about to say bullshit or something. No, <laughs> like, the St. Albans Raid is... Well, because I'll tell you my experience with this, is that when, I am, when I'm finding things, metal detecting... So the southern half of Vermont, I always say to my viewers, like finding Civil War artifacts here, they're always from a veteran because mm. there was no Civil War activity. I always say there was no Civil War battles in Vermont. And then I always get upset emails because they'll say, well, what about the St. Albans <laughs> raid? Right. And, it, and it wasn't a battle. It was some Confederates snuck down out of Canada, robbed a few banks, and then escaped. And the question that no. they never and they never didn't escape. Well, they okay. Let me rephrase. <laughs> they were never able to retrieve all of the money that was stolen. Yeah, something like but that. It was hidden somewhere along. And um. Well, I mean, if you know the story, <laughs> if you know the story, you could you could probably tell it if you want. Do you know the story? I mean. Beyond beyond what I just said, I'm not sure any more of the details. I know that there was like a ragtag group of Confederates. I don't think they were even in contact with the rest of the Confederate Army. I think they were somewhat working on their own by themselves. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, like I said, they snuck out of camp, down out of Canada, St. Albans, robbed a couple banks. And so I, I assumed, I thought they got, all got caught, but you said they didn't know they caught. No, I think they but they, no, they did I mean. they weren't in pos uh, possession right. of it so right. it was um that they had hid it obviously somewhere along the way and to this day it was never you know known to be found right um 
I um, I think it could be true. I think that it's it's ingrained in history enough. Um, I mean, it's got its own Wikipedia article. <laughs> got to be true. Whether it's findable, though, I man, probably not. I mean, I've never been in that area. It must have been pounded by now, though. Right. But what I'm thinking of is, like, because we hit our, our treasure in a spot, right? Yeah. And several people went looking, and they were, like, on top of it. They had GPS coordinates, basically. Right. <laughs> they were on top of it, and only one guy found it. And so you can imagine if there's if you have zero GPS coordinate, I have no idea where it could be, and it's like nestled into some rocks or something. Right. You'd never be able to find that. I bet it was found by now, and just probably never reported. That's that's a good point too. And it could have even been in that time. You know, it could have been like someone involved in that after the search was like ended. It was like, oh, I want to go get paid. They well, went, got it, brought it to a bank, you know, and cashed in. And who knows, too, those guys, wherever they ended up, there's got to be names for those guys, right? right? They go to some kind of work camp or some kind of prison mm. or something. And well, all they would do would be like, one of the guards, like, hey, man, yeah. let me tell you something. Let me tell you a secret. Yeah. Well, here, yeah. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this really quick. I'll just read this quick paragraph out of here. Um, all right. So it says, in 1868, a diary taken from the body of an ex-Confederate soldier who had recently died in Mississippi from tuberculosis, provided a remarkable detail to St. Albans raid uh, mm -hmm. and the subsequent caching of a portion of the loot. The discovery renewed interest in the stolen gold. Um, according to the diary, the dead soldier was one of the three rebels who escaped the St. Albans posse. Uh, keeping to the woods and evading settlements, he eventually made his way southwest westward until he reached the Ohio River. He obtained a series of boat rides to the Mississippi River. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, it goes on. You know, he went to this place, to this place, to this place. But apparently there were three of them who got who got away. And they left a diary behind. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> It was it was like thousands of dollars that wasn't retrieved. Yeah. Let's see if I can find how much exactly it was. It's got to be. It's got to say somewhere here. Uh, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in gold coins. Isn't that is that eighteen sixties money though? I think or it, it doesn't. For the book? It doesn't say. It just says a hundred. Yeah, so it's probably eighteen. Or I guess it doesn't really matter. It just says in gold coins. So. That's so assuming it's like a so 1860, those are probably like golden eagles. So there's like $20 gold coins, I think was the biggest, biggest you could right. get. So, how much money did you say that was? $120,000. That's divided by $20 gold coins, $6,000. Yeah, it says there were six saddlebags that they buried. Dude, that would weigh. So much. Let's yeah. see. Let's That'd do the huge. math really quick. What does a twenty dollar gold piece weigh? I have no idea. This would have to be a huge, huge place to hide it, though. Twenty dollar gold eagle weight. Oh, there were seven saddlebags. Uh, point nine six ounces. 
So we'll call it an ounce. So 6,000 ounces. Let's see, we're doing math here. We're debunking. <laughs> ounces to pounds, 6,000. So it's almost 400 pounds. Oh, smokes of gold. <laughs> and how many guys? Three of them. Three guys carrying 400 pounds of gold. There's no way the horses could have done that. Well, I think that's why they buried it, right? I they couldn't make it all the way out there. I just, yeah, I assume there was horses. No, wait, how many saddlebags? Seven. 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 So 375 pounds divided by seven. 50 pound saddlebags? Sounds like bullshit. I don't know. You think so? Unless it was so paper. Wait, did they have wait, it's fifty so fifty pounds per saddlebag, right? Right. I don't see a problem with that. If they had a horse for every one, just think about it, like two people can ride on a horse, then like There's two no they had seven pounds people. You guys? I don't think so. They could have put like because I assume when you mean saddlebags, you mean like the double ones, you know, you can right. put two those on each, you know, and that's like another hundred pounds. Okay. Horses can hold a couple people. They probably doubled up a couple. I could maybe see that. Hmm. It's just a lot of weight. That's what I'm thinking about, like, robbing a bank and, like, dealing with everything that comes along with robbing a bank. Probably want quick money. Right. Being like, here's 400 dollars. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay, seriously. Okay. Um, but maybe maybe they were maybe they had paper notes. Although you said it says gold coins right in the book, but I think they had paper notes back then, some of some kind. You know, mm. um, yeah, they'd have to. And if it wasn't gold coins, if it was like silver, it'd be even more right silver mixed in. But regardless, maybe that one hundred twenty thousand isn't an accurate number. Maybe maybe the they inflated it to today. Right. You know. $120,000 worth of gold coins in 1860. So it would be considerably less, way less. That would make more sense. I mean, what bank in Vermont has that much money sitting in there anyway in 1860? I mean, if $120,000 back then, yeah, that's enormous. Right. That would be more. Right. So it says that they took $200,000 and that they only recovered 80000 of it. So, oh, they took even more. Yeah. And we're sure there was three guys in the ring? No, no, there was more than three, but three of them got away. Oh, okay. But yeah, so I was reading on a little bit, and it says that in the diary, it says that says where the 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 treasure was buried. Um, Can you tell us where it is? It just says within a you know uh, a pine grove in the middle of a pine grove, a a short distance. West of the St. Albans Montreal Railroad, um, covered with a large flat rock that took three men to move. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so who knows? I I I would imagine somebody found it. Well, just never said escaped. anything. Even if three dudes escaped and knew where it was and went back for it, though. To take four hundred pounds, you know what I mean? For three dudes, I'd be like, it would be even I'll more. Just fill a saddle bag. You said it was two hundred thousand dollars, right? For yeah, they it. took two hundred thousand, but they were when they oh, were yeah. captured, eighty thousand of it was recovered. 
$200,000 divided by $20 gold pieces, 10,000 coins times an ounce, which is 10,000 ounces, which would be actually 625 pounds. That would mean each guy, right. although how many guys were there? Seven guys, was that? Yeah, I think there was, uh, I don't it's know. It's almost per person. Yeah. 25 confederate soldiers oh there okay. were 25 of them originally that's more three of them made it out the rest of them were captured so 25 guys says the story by 25 guys that's only 25 pounds a piece that's more reasonable you could run with 25 pounds Horses. If they had like you know a handful of horses too, they can load up a couple saddlebags on a horse. Or... Right. I mean, they, they rode out on horses, right? Mm. I yeah. I, I mean, if they were caught up, maybe that's well, maybe if they didn't, that's why they were caught too. But they were running up to Canada on foot. I guess I probably should have just read the whole story, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I know we're just gonna take it apart anyway. Yeah. I'm not. It's too late. I'm not going back. <laughs> well, there's, well, let me, let's put it this way. There was definitely a bank robbery. Oh yeah, that's. There was definitely a bunch of guys that got caught. The only thing that I get hung up on is the amount of money, and if the rest of it could still be out there. I feel like there's a good chance there's something from that event out there. Um, but land, like if it was near a river or anything like that, it's like not where it used to be. Because river courses change. Um, right. Well, you said, it, what did you say? It was a pine grove. A pine water. grove, yeah. I think I saw something that was in a farmer's field, next to a farmer's field. I would, I would guess that if there was anybody still living from that event, that knew where it was hidden, somebody would have gone back for it. Right. You know, they would have sent a letter out to somebody. Oh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I mean, the story went on to say that there was a rumor that, you know, a couple of years later, there was a man with a Southern accent who was, you know, asking questions and they saw him in the field digging, but that's really all it said. They didn't know if he was one of them or who he was but he got away again that could be i mean it's a real historical event and about actual treasure being stolen and not recovering at all so the question is though is it in the ground somewhere or is it not i would say maybe a coin or two is left See how many families around there are, you know, how many rich families there are around there and, and when they came across mm -hmm. the money. <laughs> yeah. Which one of them bought a big, you know, house and retired early. Right. All right. I got another one here that I've I've always thought was uh, a really cool story. It's a little harder to believe, uh, but it's another historical treasure. And it's Marie Antoinette's diamond necklace. And this is out in New Hampshire. Oh, Madame Cherie? No, no, not not there. Have you ever been there, though? Have you ever been to Ma 
Madame Cherie's yeah. castle. I think, uh, yeah. yeah. I was there before cool. the, the uh, stairs collapsed, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we have a video of us there. Not metal detector or anything, just being there. Right. Um, that's not the same person? No. Marie Antoinette, she, you know, uh, the cake lady from the French Revolution. Okay. Got her head chopped off because she, you know. Right, 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 right. Wanted to eat cake or something. I know it has something to do with cake. Um. All right. Okay. Uh, Penny Chuck Pond is a small glacial lake located about two and a half miles from downtown Nashua, New Hampshire. So that's not that far from here. Um. I don't know if I should skip some of this or not, but let's see what he's got to say. Yeah, this is a pretty long story. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll read some of it. We might be able to stop halfway through. The pond, a half mile long and nearly a quarter mile wide, is fed by the cold waters of Pennychuck Brook. According to legend, somewhere along the shore of Pennychuck Pond lies one of the most incredible treasures in the United States, a fabulous diamond necklace believed to have been commissioned by Marie Antoinette in France in 1788 one of several small lakes in the area formed by uh, we don't need to read that um marie antoinette originally from uh austria and sister to emperor leopold was the wife of king uh louis oh jesus uh yeah way up there 10 5 Six, the the sixteenth Louis King King Louis the sixteenth, the French monarch who reigned from seventeen seventy four to seventeen ninety two. French citizens considered Marie Antoinette quite frivolous and ill suited for her high position in society. Um, we got his head cut off too, didn't we? Yeah, I think they all did. Oh, man. And talking about the French Revolution, I tend to bring up movies a lot in this podcast. There's a there's a sweet movie coming out. I don't know if you're into movies with uh, it's about. Um, oh, shit. What's his name? Who's a little short guy there uh, who took over emperor Napoleon? You guys should check it out. Check out the trailer. Napoleon looks badass. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. It looks sweet. I was in France last uh, January metal detecting, and pretty much every coin I found uh, had a Louis on it. One of the Louis. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I just saw that you that I was actually searching around your thing earlier today, and I saw that you had went to Europe. I didn't even know that. How was that? That must have been exciting. It was pretty wild. Yeah. Everything's so old over there. Where'd you go? Uh, we were in. A small little farm town outside of Le Mans, Le Mans, with you know, like the race, you know, like the famous like... rain uh, car race. Hmm, no, it's um, it's just a little tiny town outside of that, and a bunch of French points, obviously, but um, there's obviously Roman stuff there too. So finding hmm. things from like right hundred. I know every now and then you'll hear about uh, 
people finding like huge um caches of like um viking stuff or something i don't know you know it happens way more often over there because people were obviously people were here um a long time but they didn't use metal right so mm. it's hard to find stuff from that but um They've been using metal for like 4,000 years over there. Probably longer, I guess. But you can find coins and stuff from like the world. Yeah, I mean, I guess there would be a lot more over there anyway. But uh, yeah. Um, let's see here. In 1788, Marie Antoinette contracted with highly skilled jewelers in France to design and, and create the most exquisite diamond necklace in the world. Emissaries were sent throughout Europe to search for and obtain the finest diamonds available. And the ultimate piece of finely crafted jewelry was described as a stunning necklace of extraordinary beauty containing dozens of large and magnificently cut gems. The cost to Marie Antoinette was in excess of the French equivalent of $1 million. Um, the French Revolution lasted from 1789 to 1799, eventually overthrew the absolute monarch of King Louis XVI. Um, all right, so that's that's the history. Let's see if we can get into the story here because the story is pretty interesting. It's about a two like homeless people living on the shores of this river that supposedly had the necklace. Um, In France, the revolution erupted into a bloody war, and Antoinette was uh, eventually executed by guillotine in October 16, 1793. The necklace's recipient still remains a mystery. Around 1790, a Frenchman, accompanied by an Indian, transported a wooden trunk from Canada across the border into Maine, ultimately arriving by wagon in New Hampshire, uh, in the New Hampshire settlement of Nashua near the Massachusetts border. At Nashua, the Frenchman and Indian set up a temporary camp just outside of town uh, for several days while they rested from their long journey. While in camp, they closely guarded the wooden trunk. When one of them went into town to purchase a few supplies, the other remained in camp standing guard over the trunk and keeping passers-by and visitors from coming near it. Uh, after one week, the two men packed their wagon and rode away from town towards the northwest along a well-traveled road. Through the strangers they had barely spoken with, uh, though the strangers had barely spoken with anyone in town, the national residents presumed they were simply continuing on their journey and leaving the area for good. Um, then they end up, they start building a cabin. So, so once the cabin was constructed, the wooden trunk was placed uh, in a corner and covered with a blanket and a few household items. Living near the shore of Pennychuck Pond, the Frenchman and the Indian occasionally hunted game. And once every six weeks or so, one of the men went to town to replenish supplies. They received few visitors at their residence and earned rightfully so. The reputation for being 
recluses. Two years following the arrival of the strangers, the Indian had to return to Canada on a family matter. Following his friend's departure, the Frenchman grew concerned about the security of the wooden trunk in the cabin. He worried that some uninvited visitors might steal it when he needed to go into town to purchase supplies. Uh, on the occasions when he did ride to Nashua, the Frenchman fretted for the entire, you know, let's see, let's skip that. He's worrying about his treasure as he's riding, and you know, back and forth. Uh, during the next few years, the Indian left for Canada on at least three other occasions. Each time his friend rode away, renewed concern about the trunk safety, gripped the Frenchman. Um... While the Indian was away, the Frenchman took ill, weakened from pneumonia. He could scarcely rise from his pallet and found it impossible to go into town for help. For several days, he fought the illness, but it was too much for him, and he eventually succumbed. Uh, when the Indian returned, his friend had been dead for several weeks. After burying the Frenchman, the Indian decided to go back to Canada for good and began packing some of the items into, the, into his wagon. As he did so, he noticed that the trunk was missing. For the next two days, the Indian hiked through the nearby woods and along the lake shore in search of it, but could find nothing. Finally giving up, he climbed aboard the wagon and rode away towards Canada. Twenty years later, the old Indian returned to Nashua. He walked from store to store and house to house, asking people if they had known the Frenchman who had once lived out near Pennychuck Pond since the Frenchman only rarely came into town and seldom conversed with anyone when he did, few recalled him. Eventually, the constable arrested the Indian for being a nuisance and kept him in town jail for a week. During the time the Indian was incarcerated, he related uh, an amazing story to the lawmen. After burying his friend, the Indian returned to Canada to live with relatives. Approximately 10 years later, he discovered the Frenchman's journal among the belongings in an old canvas bag. Pursue, pursuing the journal, the Indian came across the reference to the buried trunk and the rock marker near the shoreline of Pen Pennychuck Pond. A variety of family-related problems interfered with his uh, immediate return to Pennychuck Pond but after the passing of another 10 years, the Indian, now somewhat elderly, borrowed a horse and departed for Nashua to try and find the trunk. Um, sorry, I'm, I, I thought it would get into what the journal had said. It's like four pages of, of stuff here. Uh, the, all right, here we go. The constable listened uh, intensely to the Indian's tale. And when the prisoner had finished, the lawman leaned in close to him and asked what was in the trunk. The Indian told him the trunk contained a metal box that, in turn, held Marie Antoinette's long-lost diamond necklace and that the dead Frenchman had given, been given the responsibility to, uh, of protection, of protecting. The following morning, the constable released the Indian from the jail cell and the two rode out to Pennychuck Pond after showing the lawman the old log cabin, the Indian pointed to the rock shore of the lake. Blah, 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 blah. They never found the treasure. So that's that story in a nutshell. I skipped some of it, but... So supposedly this dude 
was tasked with guarding this this necklace. What do you right. think about that? I think that um, I kind of I kind of maybe missed what you said. It sounds like they were like they just like went out there and were like camping, and then they're like, "Well, let's build a cabin and live here for two years." Did I read right. that? So I'm pretty sure you even back then you had to like own land to build a house. Okay. Um, so that's a little sketchy. Um, and if if they did own the land, and then you could actually literally go down to the town offices and find the property plots and find their names written on it. Yeah, no, I don't think they did. I think they were. They said that they were considered recluses. I think yeah. they had just wandered down there and they were going from town to town, and then they decided that they wanted to build a cabin by this lake. I think you could do that. I'm pretty sure even back then, they were pretty stingy about land and buying and selling and everything was owned. Right. I mean, that was like what the whole uh, New Hampshire land grants thing is all about. Unless no, you know, unless it was somewhere that, you know, no one went, no one saw it. I hear stories all the time, people building like cabins in like national forests. Years later, they find it and like, oh, it's okay. can't be here. Maybe, you know, it could have been remote it was enough. Next, it was next to a lake, though. Oh, yeah. A pond, right? Yeah, it was a pond. I think it's more of a pond than a lake. Um, and yeah, well, that so was this was 1790. Yeah. No, I mean, that was post-revolution. That was... I mean, that's a good way to look at it. I'd never even thought about that, you know? There had to have been records because that was one of the things when we were doing like the DeGrau stuff and we were looking at those tales, like there was never any property or like census reports. Like, so 1790, I'm pretty sure that was the first census year. Maybe it was 1800. So you should technically be able to find those names on a census. Right. Census year. What did we do before Google? Um, yeah, 1790 was the first census year. So, you, I mean, you should be able to find those dudes' names on a census. And that would be where I would go to first to try to figure out if this is a real thing or not. Um, but just the whole, the, it, it really kind of glazes over how the necklace came from a dead lady. A dead lady's uh, yeah, Marie Antoinette. Uh, yeah. All the way. And then why were they protecting it? Right. Doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. And then, maybe like, like, I mean, like, France being so, will rise again. What's that? I said maybe like France will rise again. Or I don't know. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That one kind of sounds very uh, folklore. Folklore. Right. It's it's a story that I've known for a long time. Uh, and I've always been like, I'm going to go find that, that necklace. <laughs> right. But, yeah. And it's kind of, it's such a, like a, an exact location to look to, right? Ooh. On the shore of a, of a pond. Um, are there any like photos, not, obviously not photos, but any like drawings or anything? Any no, stuff? not in the book. No, not that I've ever seen. It's just some random necklace that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's drawings of the necklace. Right. Well, there must be um, some necklace at least exists at large. Thanks. I would assume, yeah, something. I mean, of that value. 
Right. Because I think, I mean, after the, I don't know if you know much of the French Revolution, but they were like, you know, they were killing off all the, the royalty and the, yeah, you know, and then they were taking stock of everything, trying to restart. I'm sure there's some sort of documents of the, that, that would survive of this necklace. It sounded like, see, I lost the page here, but it sounded, they had a good description of it at least. Yeah, I mean, um, it doesn't really make any sense why they would bring it to New Hampshire, though. Right. Like, why? Why did they? It seemed like this guy was like on a mission, right? Right. Like, protect it, but then he never did anything with it. Yeah, I mean, I can. The only thing I can think of is like, have you ever heard of uh, the Knights of the Golden Circle? Yes, I have not, but it sounds made up. No, they're like a Civil War group, uh, and they kind of like, after, you know, when the South fell, they gathered up all the remaining treasures and, you know, anything that could be turned into money, and they buried it. And then these Knights of the Golden Circles, they like looked after all these, these caches of gold, um, and some of them have been found. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean that when when I heard of the the Kentucky treasure, I instantly was like, "That's a Golden Circle treasure," but it I don't know, I don't I didn't see any news articles calling it a night, you know, belonging to the Golden Circle, but interesting. But uh, it in banks, yeah, I mean they wanted to keep it because you know the South would rise again. They had this whole goal of invading Mexico. And, you know, uh, Central America, the golden circle, and they were going to use that whole area as, you know, cotton. They were going to slavery in the whole area. They were going to turn into like this huge slave driven country, you know. Um, I think it was like 60 percent of rebel soldiers, you know, they belong to the knighthood. But but yeah, it, you should actually look into it. You might be in, in you might find it interesting because they left like secret codes and stuff car you know secret carvings and you could there are people who swear you could follow these carvings and they'll bring you i mean they found certified golden circle treasures um jesse james was a member of the golden circle but but yeah so i got one more i'll read um it's it's a short one and it's a vermont story uh it's only like a page and a half long it's more of like a just like a random ass treasure that that you might stumble across, you know. Uh, at one closing thought, I'm gonna give the thumbs down on the Antoinette necklace. Okay. Bogus story. What do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, I think it could be somewhere out there. I definitely think there would be some documents and people looking for it if it's as valuable as you know as it's said to be in that time. As far as yeah, it's it's an unclear picture. The goal of protecting it and traveling, you know, with no end destination with it is. I would think the only reason to travel with it would be to complete a transaction, and that either happened or just you know, right. Price that was you know. The thing you have to keep in mind too is like they were on a boat for like three months to get to this to this side of the world. Yeah. Right, that's a quite a journey, and then they just stopped by some random pond. I'm not sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does sound, you know, sound like it's not. Wouldn't yeah, be. I guess, yeah, I would say in, in light of missing, you know, facts and, and yeah, yeah. pieces. We do, obviously, know I probably sure. thumbs down it, but I want to. Yeah. I know. I, I want to believe it, too. Um. All right. So this next one, well, this this will be the last one. Um, and it, it's a short one, but but uh, my hope was to um. Uh, get your skeptical mind a little less skeptical. <laughs> oh, okay. But I don't. I don't think that was gonna work. Uh, all right. <laughs> so this is the ship mast magnets treasure. Um, for almost. Mag what magnets uh yeah like ma like a sh like uh not like a you know like a business businessman oh, oh 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 okay magnates magnates the ship magnates what treasure magnet. yeah all right no. it'll okay. explain it'll explain it uh for almost 20 years during the the 1730s and the 1740s that that's a weird start uh a logger who made his fortune in cutting and selling timber for ship masts regularly buried gold coins near his vermont cabin for more than uh 200 years following his death treasure hunters have searched for his fortune in coins uh but to date according to researchers it has never been found. Uh, during the era of sailing ships, shipbuilders throughout the uh, shipbuilders thought the finest mast timber was found in the forests of Vermont. The mast or spar rose vertically from the deck of the ship and supported the yards, booms, and rigging. The mast needed to be. It's so hard to say mast. I don't know. Like I just want to say mass. The mast. Uh, it's my uh Vermont accent, I guess. The mast needed to be straight and strong, and some ships required several of them. When David Jarvis realized that's a Vermont name, Southern Vermont name, right there. Uh, when David Jarvis realized the growing demand for quality masts during the shipbuilding boom of the early 1700s. He decided to go into business providing the finest, a tall, strong, slender, straight pine that grew in central Vermont. Jarvis hired a team of loggers and led them to a site near the upper reaches of the Winooski River, not far from uh, the present <laughs> town of Middlesex. Uh, while the loggers cut and trimmed the poles, Jarvis marketed the Vermont masts to shipbuilders along the Atlantic coast and in Canada. As many as three cut masts were loaded onto large sleds that were pulled by oxen to New Hampshire's Merrimack River. Then they were lashed together and rafted to the port of uh, Salisbury, Boston, and other important shipbuilding centers. Occasionally, logs were hauled west to Lake Champlain and then northward to the St. Lawrence River. Before long, Jarvis, Jarvis's fine masts were the talk of the shipbuilding industry for the builders as well as for the captains of the vessels. 
no other mass would do. And the entrepreneur soon had orders for as many poles as he could deliver. Jarvis required only one thing from those who purchased his masts that they had to pay in gold. During the nearly, sorry, during the nearly 20 years that Jarvis operated his mask cutting business, it was estimated that he accumulated thousands of dollars worth of gold coins. A frugal man, Jarvis lived in a, a primitive cabin that he constructed from rock uh, in the limbs of trimmed of in the limbs trimmed from cut masts on his property. Once when Jarvis returned to the Vermont logging camp from a successful sales trip, he carried a pouch heavy with gold coins. Uh, from the contents of the pouch, he paid his workers. One of Jarvis's employees, a loyal worker named Hampton, commented that it was dangerous to carry around such a large amount of gold and that someone might kill him for it. Hampton suggested to his boss that he place the money in a bank. At this, Jarvis laughed and said he did not trust the bank. Uh, taking Hampton into his confidence, Jarvis explained that he had buried his gold in a secret location just a few steps from his cabin. Uh, as time passed and the mast cutting business continued to flourish, Jarvis grew quite wealthy by New England standards. In spite of his fortune, however, he preferred to live in his crude cabin, and when he traveled to the coast to conduct business, he slept on the docks and ate the food he carried in a pouch. Jarvis was never known to drink, stay in hotels, or otherwise spend money. On numerous occasions, Jarvis was followed by robbers on his return trips to Vermont, but he always managed to elude his trackers. During summer 1748, Hampton told Jarvis that two of his loggers had often wondered aloud where their employer hid his gold. The next few weeks, Jarvis often spotted those two men watching him closely when they weren't working in the woods. At those times, Jarvis was careful not to approach his secret hiding place. Uh, several weeks fo following Hampton's warning, Davis, J David Jarvis was killed while overseeing the cutting of masts in a certain section of the forest. A falling tree struck the businessman and he died instantly when his skull was crushed. According to observers, there was no warning and the men cutting the tree were never identified. It was believed, but never proven, that Jarvis was murdered by the two men who had expressed interest in his gold. Hampton tried vainly to continue supplying masts to the shipbuilders, but being unskilled at business, he soon abandoned his attempts. Uh, for several weeks, Hampton searched the area around Jarvis's cabin for the cache of buried coins, but it was never able to find it. Uh, it had been recorded that others, most likely men who cut masts for Jarvis, dug dozens of holes around the ground near the old cabin, but they too came away empty-handed. Uh, during the first decade of the 1900s, a Middlesex resident reported finding several gold coins near an old abandoned logging camp not far from the Winooski River. The coins had... 1740s minted minted dates uh, it is likely that the individual accidentally stumbled onto 
a portion of Jarvis's cash, a fortune that could possibly be worth a million dollars today. All right. David Jarvis. My my first problem with the story is that a dude made a house out of white pine limbs. Out of what? Out of the limbs of a white pine tree. Is that bad? Yeah, but they're like they're like an inch in diameter. I mean, if he's mass producing them though, and, you know, it sounds like he made a lean to. Just imagine what that would look like. Rocks and trees. A lean to. It sounds like a lean to. It's a cabin. How would you how would you stay warm in a lean to in a Vermont winter? Just like you literally own a own a business cutting trees. You ever like, seen a loan? Make a house. <laughs> he was frugal. It's said in the story he was frugal. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm like, having it. It's like, you know, extreme cheapskates, 171800. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm I have very limited information and knowledge about the shipping mast industry in Vermont. Did look up real quick and confirm while you were um, looking, because I hadn't actually known or ever heard that there was a big uh, mass production uh, in Vermont. And yeah, it specifically says straight, uh, tall, straight uh, white pine trees were valued for, you know, mass building. And it wasn't a huge, it wasn't one of the bigger uh, producers in the Northeast, but they contributed. So maybe there's something to how much he could have made, you know, in his fortune. Right. Um, I have heard about King's King's Pines. Mm, yeah, me too. Yeah, they're like big, big white pine trees. There's like the King's Broadhead arrow on it uh, to indicate that this tree was reserved for the King's ships. Yep. Uh, I've never heard about them ever being in Vermont, but I don't, I don't think that he was necessarily uh, charged by the King or he was doing right. a private venture. Um, Certainly have a lot of white pines, but I feel like if there's any part of that story that's true, he wouldn't have told his employee where he hides it from. Hmm. That's true. He's so secretive and hiding it. Right. Well, he's caught. If he doesn't trust banks, he's not going to trust somebody who's, who he's paying as an employee to be like, my fortune is right there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, it said that he told him that he buried it near his cabin. He, he didn't say he told him where he buried it. He said, I thought that when you read it, you said he told his employee that it's buried a few steps from his right, cabin. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which... Why even say that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes he, he could maybe have told someone as an insurance too, like, you know, like if he suspected they were going to double cross him or try to rob him, like, hey, listen, you know, if you do any, pull anything, my stuff is buried somewhere. You don't know where it is. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I clearly he doesn't have a basement or cupboards or <laughs> more boards. <laughs> floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so why did so if he's living in a shack made out of rocks and tree limbs, 
Why don't you just bury <laughs> it in his house? Right. Too obvious. Don't flip every stone on this floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's yeah. a lot of really kind of sketchy things in that story that I'm just trying to. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say, you know, it's like the game of telephone over a couple hundred years. Right, right, right. I bet he made some money and he did hide it. Wouldn't be surprised if the amount was exaggerated. Mm. You know, like he made a little bit of money. I also wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into these 1740 coins um, because we find 1740 coins all the time. But to be colonial money, um, there was like the dates really didn't matter because once they got here, like that's what people used and that they just got floated around. So it's not, you would almost always find. People in like the 1830s and 40s would still be using coins that said 1740 out. It's just what was here. And the mint hadn't really gotten started rolling out coins like that yet. So they were just using what they had. Um, that I just wanna, Go ahead. Sorry, I just want to say I wanted to point out that I totally learned that from watching your channel. So, oh, really? Yeah. So. But yeah, um, who knows? So, so I mean, I, I wouldn't count that as proof that the story has any legitimacy that some people bought some coins from 1740. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting story. Is that it, I'm viewing it as if somebody were just making it up, um, like a, a masked building background. So the story isn't an obvious one. Right. Yeah. It's kind of weird, right? Yeah, there's no caves involved. <laughs> I bet. If I was a mask builder in the middle of the woods, cheap, didn't trust anyone, I probably would tell them, hey, got a lot of money to pay you guys, to like employees, right? And I'd also tell them, hey, you'll never find it. Hoping, you know, they stay they stay with you, they stay loyal, you know. And Why, why even bring it up, though? Just so they know, you know. Um, they're always going to have a paycheck, like self-assurance for them to, to stick around and keep working. Or maybe it was an offhand comment. I mean, it's like he was like, oh, why don't you use, put your money in the friggin' bank? You know, what are you doing, dude? Put your money in the bank. And he's like, I don't need it in the bank. I got it. It's right there. You know? Right. You know? Yeah. I just don't, or, or if he didn't trust them, you know, I mean, it, which sounds like there might have been reasons not to if they allegedly tipped the tree over on him or whatever. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I feel like that would be his angle if he's a real person and those were like, you know, kind of things going through his mind, maybe. Yeah. It's it's hard saying it's it's hard the position you put us in. We don't <laughs> have all the information. Um, That's the fun part. Made up. Not, I'm gonna say it's a chance. Okay. So I'm gonna great. say I'm gonna say the the idea that an offhand comment that he's buried his money in the ground, echoed through time over 300 years to be published in a book. It's slim. And the, I, I loved, like, kind of the, the satisfying ending of him being killed by a mast. <laughs> I know. What a way to go out, huh? Yeah. Like you said, it is, it is an interesting one. It's way, way off than the normal um, cave of treasure yeah. that, you know, was hidden or collapsed. 
that you always hear in so many different versions. Uh, and that it is, you know, it's something that is an actual industry that was, you know, we were seeing in Vermont at the time. I, this is the first I've heard of it, but yeah. You would think that, did you say where it was? said uh, Winooski River somewhere. Um, let me get back to it really quick here. Because you, you would think that it would be fairly close to a river, a sizable river that connects to the ocean, you know, like the Connecticut River. Right. Yeah, because you get a transport. It says not far from present day Middlesex. That's about so close. Ships on the Champlain too. I mean, they obviously have seafaring, but. I know it says that he's putting these these masts on on sleds and then pulling them by oxen to New Hampshire. <laughs> Seems very cost ineffective. Right, right. But I'm pretty sure they have trees along the coast. <laughs> right? What the heck? <laughs> right. No, but actually, I think those those king masts they were mainly coming from New Hampshire. Right? Did do you remember that at all? I'm pretty. That's how I remember it. I feel like they were all along the coast, regardless. I think the Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire. Um, I feel like I mostly remember it Massachusetts, but I'm sure that's an easy Google. But yeah, maybe Vermont was like untouched land. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was like the during like New Hampshire grants time, it was kind of like the wild. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was being fought over by New York and New Hampshire. I did a quick shirt, uh, search and yeah, I'm reading it was in Maine, New Hampshire and parts of New York. Oh, interesting. These regions had extensive white pine forests that were highly prized for their timber. Chip building. Yeah, so he would have had a whole state to, to cut from. Right. And it's but, not something that he would have been like, yeah, I wonder how that works. Because it's not like you're like planting a forest of pines to grow a mast, right? He must be out in a rich area. Yeah, searching for them. And then when you find one that's good enough, you chop it down and transport it out. I how that worked. Because he wouldn't have owned all the land. Right. Good huh. question. I don't not, I don't I can't say that one is I believe they were they were cutting masks. Whether there was one guy who was burying his money in the ground and then pulled somebody and then it was never found. I'm not sure I believe that part. My favorite part of the story is that it's just one of these, you know, random stories where someone like you could just, you know, how many other people ran, you know, had these these businesses where they didn't tell anybody that they buried, you know, a portion of their, um, yeah. of their wealth somewhere. And then you come along one day. Right, right, right. Detecting and you just happen to find a, a small chest full, of, you know, that'd be so cool. Well, I will say I have metal detected. I would say at least 40 or 50 homes that are ruins. Uh, and I've never found anything like that. So mm -hmm. burying your money must not have been that common of an occurrence back in right. the early 1800s. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
before it gets too late, I don't want to keep you guys for too long. I do have two honorable mentions. Oh, I just wanted to mention really quick. I'm not going to read anything. I'm just going to mention them by memory here. And one is not far from me. Uh, have you ever heard of Buried Treasure in Reading, Vermont? No. No. Reading is. I haven't heard of Yeah. So there was this this guy named Bailey. His last name was Bailey. I forget what his first name was. And he owned a bunch of mills, you know, through Reading and I think um, maybe even Chester. And he owned all these mills and went on his deathbed. He told his doctor, he was like, I buried, you know, a box of silver on the west side of, you know, one of my mills. And and that that's that's the story. And since then, people have, you know, you can go to his house. I've asked the, some lady owns an air. Uh, it's like an Airbnb or a, just a regular B&B. I've asked her to go out there and she was like, yeah, you can search for it, but no metal detectors, but. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And she heard the story. Yeah. She knows the story. Hmm. It's definitely, I mean, I've, I've looked it up online and I've seen, I've seen other people talking about it, but it kind of reminds me this story that I just told you with the, with, with David Jarvis reminds me of this, you know, it's another businessman who's just buried some of his, you know, wealth out there. Some of his profit. I, I'm always kind of skeptical when people are telling other people about where all of their money is. But if he's on his deathbed, I guess he wouldn't really have anything to lose. But yeah, it would be an easy thing to look up. Like if this guy was a real guy, right? You know, if he, he did own all of these sawmills, that all those records would be there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a real guy. I think it comes to the doctor. Uh, what the, the research I've done is that you know some people say. Yeah, he was a real doctor, and some people say he wasn't a doctor. He was, you know, he was someone else. So, right. just wanted to give the family some good news. But um, but <laughs> I know he didn't tell his wife. He told this random doctor. Yeah. Um. Well, it's just the word of the doctor, I guess, right? Yep. If the doctor exists, I've I've yet to. I feel like I'm not sure I've ever heard of a buried treasure being found. Like we were talking about the treasure in Kentucky. Like, was that buried or was that lost accidentally? Right. Yeah. Right. It's quite a point. Maybe it was buried intentionally, but I feel like this, the, the idea of buried treasure is way more prevalent than the actual act of burying your money. You know, like I get people didn't trust banks. 200 years ago or whatever, but I feel like there were better places to hide it. Like in the walls of your stone foundation or, you know, in, even in a stone wall or something. I feel like that would be way more um, reasonable to get, get back yourself mm. than, because like they didn't have metal detectors, right? How would you, you'd have to like mark it somehow. Yeah. Right, right. And uh, that Kentucky treasure, I think the consensus was because I think Kentucky at the time wasn't a slave state. Right. And it was it was it was kind of like everyone got they didn't want the Confederates to take their treasure, you know, to take their wealth. So they kind of just buried it, hoping that the Confederate army would, you know, when they passed by, they were going to go back and dig up their 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 wealth. I guess my the main my main point is I feel like burying it with is the worst. 
worst possible choice. Like you could do something else with it to hide it. Right. Yeah. Like you could just like put it in the bottom, like at the bottom of the drawer. Or, or, you know, like why yeah. bury it? In the yeah. It would be a million places to hide it in your house. I mean, maybe that's why he Jarvis buried it three steps from his door. Yeah, maybe he didn't have a. He didn't have any furniture. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last one I wanted to bring up is: Have you ever heard of the 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 cursed? This this is a cursed treasure, right? Oh, definitely real then. Uh, the cursed Madonna, the cursed silver Madonna. Have you ever heard of that? Know the silver Madonna story. You do know it. I know of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't give you people involved in the story, but I I I know I know real people who have been looking for it. Really? Yeah. They didn't find it. No. Cursed angle though. Huh? Are, are they content? You know, are they still looking for it, or is it was they just went out once or twice? Um. They. they I guess they they've looked for it for. I mean, I haven't talked to them in a while. There'd be these people I meet at like events. Like we mm -hmm. so we went to this event today, and we probably spoke to thirty people, and everybody's got a story, and. Mm. Guys, I took talked to over the years have been saying, "Oh yeah, I heard about some Madonna. Oh, yeah, like, oh, I look for it here." Uh, but I haven't. This is the first I've heard that it's cursed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the cursed angle is because the people, you know, the story goes that they stole all this stuff from this church, and I think it was like Montreal or, or I, I I forget exactly where it was. And then when they came back, they had to kind of separate because the it's always the. the they yeah, were being the, and they had to hide it somewhere. Yeah, and uh, one of the teams that separated, they were trying to make their way back to Fort Number Four in Charlestown, New Hampshire, uh, and they had the Madonna, the silver Madonna, and they all, you know, the guy who was holding it, carrying it, kind of went mad in the in the woods, and he like freaked out and like tried to kill, I don't know, the people that he was with or. Or he, I don't know, he was do he did something funky where he freaked out and he threw it and that's how it became lost and he went mad and ran off into the woods and, you know, died and no one ever saw him again and, I, I mean I I don't think everyone says it's cursed but right I, no I haven't heard that, that story but, um it's one of those very classic like it was taken and then the people who had it were being pursued so they had to stash it and then never came back for it or they can't find it again or um i, I we we go to a an event in new hampshire and i am remembering now that there was that the bone hunts where some guys were telling us about it and how they were searching for it yeah it's in the hampshire story yeah um it's definitely so i've never done any research into it i would have to to give a thumbs up or thumbs down on this one, I would have to look into whether or not it was a thing that actually existed. Hmm. It must be, because the story is so well known. Yeah, I mean, they, I think it was like Rogers Rangers. It would happen during the French and Indian right. War. That's right, right. Rogers Rangers. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to say thumbs up. But yeah. Maybe, you know, the curse up in the air. The curse is definitely not real, Eddie. <laughs> Hey, no. <laughs> Just name facts. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um. 
I have to do some more research into it. it it's I mean, maybe maybe a future uh, series. It would be an interesting one. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I would want to join you on a, at least one, one, one expedition. I would love that. Would be so fun. It's it's yeah, a great story. Didn't actually do more research, real research into it. Like, see if these people involved have yeah. names and if they existed. Because that's always like the deal breaker, right? When we were looking into the ground, I keep mentioning this going back to this, but it's like the only real experience of treasure hunting that I have. Real treasure hunting. Well, like when we were looking up like Simeon Corser, who was the guy in, um, who was like digging the holes in, was it, was it, it was Hell's Half Acre, right? Mm -hmm. So like he was like a big part of folklore. They talked about him in uh, several stories and uh, he appeared on zero censuses here or Canada. Like he, he just didn't seem like he was even ever existed. In the newspapers at the time, he was never mentioned. He was supposed to have been digging up there for like twelve years. Mm. Like he was, there was no mention of him. Any of the guys that were working with him, none of their names ever popped up in any of the literature. And to me, that's like that's a big, pretty big red flag, right? So thinking about this, Rogers Rangers and stuff, I'm sure all of the names of all of the men involved in that are in like military records. Because they kept diligent records even that far back. Um, it'd be interesting to look to see if any of those people actually were Canada and the place where the Madonna started out. You know, that's where I would probably start. I can't give a thumbs up or a thumbs down right now. It is a very well known story that I have heard before. Though. I want, I want to say a piece of it was actually a piece of the 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 treasure that was taken from the church, not the Madonna, but I think it was like a gold chalice was found in some farm field here in Vermont. I feel like it was like silver candlesticks. Oh yeah, yeah, it was candlesticks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that relates though. It was just like they just took all this stuff from the same church, you know. Yeah, that would be wild if that was actually ever recovered. Hmm. I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give a thumbs up on that one. Not the cursed part, of course. That's not yeah. <laughs> I think it's credibility and you know and it means there is a loss coming. More research is required. Yeah, it would be fun to, to look into that. That'd be cool. It's a cool story. But but yeah, that's all I got. Um, oh, hey, it was fun. I love yeah. uh, I, <laughs> I enjoyed telling you that every single one of them is fake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Um, no, there's definitely some kernels of truth mm. in there. It's usually and, how it goes. A lot of them, I was I fully expected a lot of them were going to be like versions of the same old, you know, stolen treasure being pursued, had to hide. Because mm. there's so many of those. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe there is some buried treasure out there. Oh, there definitely is. Whether there's a story that people know ahead of time, though, is the question. Sorry, my kid's getting a little rumbunctious out there <laughs> but yeah thanks for coming on and doing this i know you guys Maybe. are busy yeah, doing whatever you're doing so you always have a blast talking to you guys <laughs> yeah yeah i'll be in touch at some point with something else <laughs> hope you don't great. mind let us know when this one uh gets published okay yeah it'll be uh next week sometime Perfect. yeah hey, all right cool
Take it easy. Awesome. We'll see you, Thank Nick. You. See ya. Bye. All right. So that was Brad Martin and Eddie Piscucci. Uh, Brad has the YouTube channel, Green Mountain Metal Detecting. And I know Eddie is on the channel quite often. Um, and they were, I think they said they were in New Jersey, maybe. I think, I think they said they were in New Jersey at some sort of uh, metal detecting event. Um, so it was, it was good to have them back on. I know we had talked back when actually it was, it was one of the last episodes that bank was on. Uh, we had them on and we talked about, you know, their, their search for DeGrau's treasure, um, and what they found of that. So, so if you're interested in the DeGrau's treasure and the story behind it, you should check out, uh, I want to say it was like episode 39 episode 29 episode 39 one of the, one of those um but yeah so I, I felt like having them back on to talk about some of these these lost new england treasures um from the from wc uh jameson's book buried treasures of new england legends of hidden riches forgotten war loot and lost ship treasures um I had a, you know, I wanted to cover some from, from other New England states like Maine and Massachusetts and Rhode Island, but I think I just, we just stuck to Vermont and New Hampshire. Uh, and that, that was, that was enough. And another thing that, that surprised me was how uh, receptive Brad was to the idea of some of these buried treasures being out there. I don't want to speak for him and I'm not when I say that he is uh, skeptical minded I think Eddie's more on on my level of of thinking. the The idea of the story fascinates us more than than the truth of the story, which the truth is always what you need, even though it might not be what you want. But that's all right, because I think I might have convinced him a little bit that maybe some of these treasures are out there. I mean. With the last one, we didn't read. I didn't read about the the silver Madonna, but uh, which is a, it's a silver statue of uh, of the Virgin Mary, and uh, I th- I think it's even holding a, a baby Jesus, um, and it was a silver statue that was taken from a a church by by a British raiding party, uh, way back in the French and Indian War. Uh, we didn't go over that. We just we just kind of talked about it, but but yeah, I mean he he gave that one a thumbs up. So so yeah, who knows? It was nice to hear that my stories weren't completely shot down by by Brad. But yeah, so that was Brad and Eddie from the hit YouTube channel, Green Mountain Metal Detecting. Check it out. Go to their page. Watch their videos. See what they have found. And that definitely. Sounds almost canon to me.